before we get into tonight's reading and into the, the Word of God this evening, uh, there's been lots of other notices. I just want to do one more, and that is to say that the service of consecration for me to become Bishop of Down Moor will be held on the 25th of January. It's a Saturday. It'll be held in St. Anne's Cathedral at 3.30 on that Saturday. And you're all invited, okay, everybody? But in order to get in, you need a ticket. And the way to get that ticket is that you'll get an official invite if you sign up at the desk tonight or next Sunday. There's a sheet there that you can sign on. And uh, your name and an email address. And if you don't have an email, your name and your postal address, okay? So we're turning tonight to 1 Kings chapter 11. We're looking at uh, the last of this series of talks on the life of Solomon. And I'm going, to ring, I'm going to read some verses from 1 Kings chapter 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to, those, to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David, your servant, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son. For the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. And the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite, 
He was of the royal house of Edom. Moving on to verse 23. God also raised up an adversary to him, Rezon, the son of Eliad, who had fled from his master, Hadaziah, king of Zobah. And he gathered men about him and became leader of a marauding band after the killing by David. And they went to Damascus and lived there and made him king in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, doing harm as Hadad did, and he loathed Israel and reigned over Syria. And from verse 41 to the end of the chapter. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Lord, again, I simply ask that you would anoint me by your Spirit, that you would soften our hearts to your word, and that, Lord, you would strengthen our will and our desire to heed that word and to live by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last of these chapters, the last of this series of talks on Solomon, we come to the, uh, what we're going to give the title to, Solomon's Fall. We begin in verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. Now, in those days, it wasn't unusual for kings to have many wives, and with those marriages, there would often be political alliances. That wasn't an unusual practice. We saw last Sunday evening how actually uh, those diplomatic relationships and diplomatic uh, marriages often were part of trade deals as, as well. And there's some of that going on here in the story of Solomon. He married foreign noble women, foreign queens, queens, uh, and he ended up often, therefore, and his people would end up honoring the, the cultural and the religious convictions of those nations and of those women and of those queens. We read in verses 1 to 3 now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite woman from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart from after their gods. Solomon clung to those in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Then we come to this verse that I've read and read and reread, and actually, on some occasions, as I've read it this week, I've, I've wept, because this is something that could happen in my life, in your life, and in any of our lives. It says, for when Solomon was old, and it may not be our wives that are to blame. His wives turned away his heart after other gods. And then it says this. 
And this is the bit that I really want us to hear. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. His heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father was. It's a, an incredible turn of phrase. It's an incredible few words. His heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. It would suggest that there was something still by way of worship. There was still something by way of religious practice and observation in King Solomon's life. There was something by way of commitment in his life to God, but it says this tragic thing that it says, his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. But you and I should, I believe, long for, pray for, search after, and allow others to challenge us about is that your heart and my heart would be the hearts of men and women that would increasingly become true to the Lord our God. Solomon clearly here was slipping away from worshiping the Lord and worshiping the Lord only to worshiping other gods, to worshiping foreign gods. Verses 5 and following, for Solomon went after Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And it says it then again, and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And then it says this, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. We can make God angry. You can, I can, we can, a, a church can. We can make the Lord angry. And it's something to be warned of here and it's something to be reminded of here that we are called to be those whose hearts would be wholly belonging to and devoted to the Lord our God. Solomon, in essence, had forgotten the very first of the Ten Commandments that we read of in Exodus 20. And, the, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods, no other gods before me. In, in our world and in, and in our culture, it may not be idols of wood or of stone, but nevertheless, it would be so easy for us to have other gods that we begin to worship. For over a period of weeks, months, years, for our hearts to turn away from loving and following and serving and knowing and putting first in our lives the Lord, our God. If you pray anything for me, whenever I move on from this place, would you pray that, that that would not be true? Please. That I would be a man and that I would be a leader who would wholly follow the Lord by God. I'll pray that for you. I'll pray that for this church. Can we pray that 
for one another. Can we pray that for Christians in our nation? Can we pray that and hold one another accountable around that in our life groups? groups? Can that become something that lies at the core of, of who we are? One of the things, and I, I said this at a, at a, to a group of young guys recently, one of the things that really heartens me is that in this church there are young men and young women and older men and women too who are sold out for God, who do seek honestly to live under the authority of the Word of God, who are never content but are looking for more of the fullness of the Spirit of God. And that's, that's a marvelous thing. That's a marvelous place to be in and to stay in. It says here in verse 9, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. And then it says this, who appeared to him twice. At our morning services, we're working on this theme as looking at passages in Luke's gospel around word and, and spirit. And, and, and you know, for Solomon, he'd had miraculous encounters with God. God had appeared to him twice. And he's got access to the Word of God, the, the, the Scriptures, the Old Testament at that particular time, the law, the law of God, the first books of the, of the Old Testament. And yet, and yet, and yet, he, over his lifetime, wanders away from that first love. And it says in verse 11 that the kingdom will be taken from him. I will surely tear your kingdom from you and give it to your servant. You see, being half-hearted as disciples, as men and women who would follow Jesus Christ does have consequences. We rob ourselves or end up being robbed of what God would have us know and experience and how he would have us live. And we read what follows here in the verses that follow that there's this guy, Hadad, who becomes a real uh, source of, ad, uh, of opposition to Solomon. And then a guy called Rezan in verse 25, he was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon, doing harm as Hadad did. And he loathed Israel and reigned over Syria. And then down at the end of the chapter, it ends... Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon are all that he did and his wisdom are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon and the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years and Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. His father and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. What's the greatest gift that you or I might leave behind us at the end of our lives? I want to suggest tonight that it would be a spiritual inheritance to those who would be coming after us. That it might be a new generation who would be coming to know Christ. That therefore ministry to children and ministry to young people needs to be at the very heart of what any church is about. An inheritance, a new generation People being raised up to fall in love with Jesus, to give their lives to Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus as Lord, to make Christ known in the world, to be those who would not be numbered among those who wouldn't be holy, sold out to God, but 
a new generation of children, of teenagers, of young adults, of older adults, who would be sold out for God and for whom Jesus Christ would be Lord. An inheritance that might include making sure that Christ would be preached and that Christ would be made known in these streets, in in this city, in this nation, and beyond. An inheritance that would lead to lives being washed and cleansed and healed and addictions broken and people set free and people just dusted down and and, and made whole for, for Jesus and for loving and following him. That's an inheritance worth living for, worth praying for. Be here on Thursday night to pray for it and with giving towards as well. Paul wrote, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Let's be men, let's be women that leave behind an inheritance of people that we've led to faith in Jesus Christ, of people that we've spoken to about Jesus Christ, of people that we've pointed towards Jesus Christ, of people that we've prayed into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's grow a church and churches where Christ is at the very, very center. Let's be men and women who work for Christ and for the extension of his kingdom. Matthew Henry wrote, it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. I love that. It ought to be the business of every day Every day, every day, to prepare for our last day. I'm going to read a, a little something if I can find it here. Oh, where did I put it? I'm not, oh, there it is. Okay, okay. Just read this the other day. It was 1888. Nobel was a Swedish chemist who made his fortune inventing and producing dynamite. His brother Ludwig had died in France. But now Alfred's grief was compounded by dismay. he just read an obituary in a French newspaper. Not his brother's obituary, but his. An editor had confused the brothers. The headline read, The Merchant of Death is Dead. Alfred Nobel's obituary described a man who had gotten rich by helping people kill one another. Shaken by this appraisal of his life, Nobel resolved to use his wealth to change his legacy. When he died eight years later, he left more than nine million to fund awards for people whose work benefited humanity. The awards became known as the Nobel Prizes. Alfred Nobel had a rare opportunity to look at the assessment of his life at its end and still had the chance to change it. Before his life was over, Nobel made sure he had invested his wealth in something of lasting value. Friends, let's make sure that our inheritance that we leave behind us is a rich spiritual heritage. Do we live like men and women today in the church who know the privileged trust that has been entrusted to us? The gospel, the message of Jesus has been entrusted to us. Let's make sure it's passed on. 
to the generations coming after us? Do we live as those who recognize that we owe Jesus everything, and I mean everything when I say everything? Everything that we have and have comes and are comes from him. Are we living knowing that one day we will give an account? I thank God for the season of Advent because I think if we didn't have the season of Advent in the church, we would totally forget that there is such a thing as a second coming and a day of judgment. We need to live as those who know that one day we will give an account. We need to live in the light of the fact that one day Jesus will return and we will give an account of our lives to him. I'm going to home in. Quite deliberately, I've been doing this every Sunday and I intend to do this for the next number of Sundays because I'm running out of opportunities to say some things to use a congregation that I really want to kind of make sure are in place for the next season of whoever comes in here as rector after me. And tonight it's in the area of finance. Cringe, cringe, cringe. Get over it, I'm going to go on. Anyway, Okay, because it's a really, really important area, and it's one that Jesus actually spoke quite a lot about, or a real lot about. It's an amazing thing, and it's a scary reality, that the same Solomon, who moved throughout his lifetime further and further away from God, uh, wrote in Ecclesiastes about this subject of wealth and money. He said in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. Now here's the richest man in the world at that particular time saying that it's not enough. Saying that the more you have, the more you want. That enough is not enough. That more than enough, which was Solomon's lot, actually does not mean that you're necessarily satisfied. Saying in verse 11 of the same chapter, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? All are bits and pieces of property, of wealth, of income. Actually, the more that we have, the more people have to come after to get from us, including the government and the taxman. And the more you have, Solomon suggests, that it doesn't necessarily do you any good. Verse 12, he says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will, let him, will not let him sleep. There's a sense here of a, of a man who is everything and actually isn't a very contented man. Not surprising because his heart was moving and had moved from holy following the Lord his God. The more we have, he tells us, the more we have to worry about. Verse 14, for when Solomon was, verse 4 rather, was old, his wives turned away his heart so that his heart was not wholly true to the Lord. Verse 13, this is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. Solomon seems to be almost predicting his own misery and his own sort of growing cold in terms of who he is as a follower of God. The more you have, the more you have to actually hurt yourself with or damage yourself with, but also the more that you have to bless the Lord with and to bless others with. 
He says in verses 13 and 14, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and these riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, and he has nothing in his hand. Somebody has said that the one thing that's worse than the addiction money brings, it is the emptiness that if it's not stewarded well, that it leaves. Solomon, you know, let's face it, Solomon had it all at a human level. He had more money than he was ever going to be able to spend. Probably none of us in this church this evening can even begin to imagine what that was like. He had more money than he could ever, ever spend. He had more women than any man could keep content. I don't know how he remembered all their names, 700 of them. And he had more to worry about than any man could carry by way of concern. And it's interesting as you read through his story how so much more as his life goes on seems to go towards Solomon, a, a palace that's so much bigger than the temple, for example. And there's this challenge for us to be men and women in our generation who in every aspect of our lives learn what it means to put Christ at the center. Learn what it means to be holy, 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 committed to the Lord our God. It says in verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing from his toil that he may carry away in his hand. His money never ran out, but it is sad it is sad, a sad reality that centuries later we're actually remembering Solomon as a man that actually, as his life progressed, moved away from God. Whereas all that he had, he might have used it in a different way to move towards God or he at the very least needed to so protect his heart that his heart would be a heart that would be wholeheartedly committed to God all his days. We read earlier in Ecclesiastes 2 that he wrote, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. This was my reward for all my toil. Verse 11, then I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I had expected in doing it, and behold, it was all vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. We can be so easily fooled. We can be so easily sort of led down a track that we think if we only had this or that or something more, then our lives would be complete. Whereas actually... The challenge for me tonight, the challenge for you tonight, is that our hearts would be holy, holy, holy devoted 
to the Lord our God. That the inheritance that we would want to leave would be an inheritance of seeing a new generation, a new generation, unlike Solomon, where the kings that come after him actually end up not following God for the most part. May we be those who would so work and pray and serve and live and keep our hearts pure and give that we would leave behind us a godly heritage. That we would leave behind us a church and and a people and a community where there are those who are reaching others and bringing others to Christ. Where a new generation of children would be enabled to follow Christ and live their lives, all of their lives, for Jesus Christ. Paul tells us, us, for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share the storing of treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that for which of that which is truly life. I love this little quote. I'm just going to read it to you. It's from Tozer and I'm just going to read these, these few words. A base, as base a thing as money often is, it yet can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can be a missionary activity winning lost men to the light of the gospel and and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. C.S. Lewis who we've been focusing a lot on at our other services and not really at this service, but he did write these words. He said, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the seaside. We are far too easily pleased. Friends, in every aspect of life, and I'm just going to home in on one, I want to encourage us to place Christ at the center. I'm aware that many of you have been growing in discipleship and growing to a place of giving your tithe to God's work, I'm aware too that there are many who are still on that journey and I want to challenge us this evening to move to a place where for each of us it maybe is no longer so much a journey that we're putting off for another day but that we really are committed to putting Christ at the center. And I want to suggest just a practical way that might stretch us, that might motivate us, that might actually encourage us to take a step, and it's only one step, in in that direction this evening. 
And it comes with a, 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 a practical thing that we can all be involved in that will lead, I believe, to this church uh, leaving more by way of, a, of, a, of an inheritance to the generations that would come after us. As a church, we, um, many people are very, very generous uh, and many, many salaries and ministries are, 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 are enabled to happen through the generosity and the giving of, of you as a congregation and the other congregations that meet here on a Sunday. Our income is now, when you add everything together as a church, it's in excess of half a million pounds. And yet at the same time, we still remain dependent on outside grants that are secured by the Willowfield Parish Community Association for around £400,000 every year. And before I leave, I want you to look, and I don't want the people involved to be at all embarrassed because it's quite all right to ask this. It's right that I should ask this. There are three staff that are currently employed by the Community Association that I would love that you as a congregation and the other congregations would look at what you give to God's work every week or every month, or maybe if you're not giving, to begin to give in such a way that those three staff members can have their salaries met, not by outside grants, but by the giving of our congregation. Those three people are John Mina, Glynis, Matchett and Charlene Harwood. Okay? Don't be embarrassed, guys, all right? Now, here's a few maths for you. To enable one of those salaries to be met by the church rather than the community association would mean that our annual income would increase by 7%. For two of those salaries to be met by the church rather than the community association would mean our annual income would be raised by 14%. And for all three, it would mean that our annual income would be raised by 22%. But here's the thing. We would all get to be involved in giving to an inheritance that would include lives being transformed in this community within the last couple of weeks through John's ministry. Uh, two men have given their lives to Christ through that ministry. For you to be part of the contributing to that work, you would see, you would be sharing in that work. Through Glynis' ministry, we see people being healed and, and blessed and people brought to faith in Christ. And when they come to Christ, being cleaned and, and set free so that they can go on to follow Christ with a more uh, focused and clean and determined and strengthened uh, grace in their lives to follow him. Charlene, loads of children around this place through Charlene's ministry. Now, there's wee cards sitting on the desk. I'm going to ask you to do nothing tonight, okay? Except pick it up. Please, if they're around you, would you, would you all pick them up? I want you to take them away with you and take them home. I'm really asking you to do this, everybody. If you're somebody who, or, who has never started to give to God's work here in Willowfield, and this is your church, Please, please make this the time that you begin to give by either weekly envelopes or better, by monthly standing order. If you're already giving, 
and you're not at your upper limit as to what you can afford to give, then this is not a pledge, okay, because your circumstances might change. We're not asking you to make a pledge. Simply that the vestry can do some planning. Indicate how much you would be willing during 2020 to increase your giving every week or your contribution by standing order every month. There's a third little group of people that I want to address. There are those who serve in other churches and then come along here every Sunday night. We love that. We want to resource you in that. But if you could help us by resourcing some of the ministries here locally by giving something to those ministries, then that would be really bless us as well. I'm simply asking that you take this away, that you don't lose it, that you look at it every day this week, and you consider bringing it back next Sunday. And I'm going to be doing the same next Sunday with the other three congregations. But you get the chance to take the lead, okay? You get the opportunity to take the lead. It's a simple little card, run off in our own office. It hasn't cost us a lot to do it. We haven't done flashy brochures or anything like that. That's not who we are. But I am asking you, and I won't have many opportunities to do this again, to make sure, to make very sure that actually these three salaries will be met in the years that lie ahead. That we will not be as dependent on outside grants because it simply isn't sustainable in the longer term that we would be dependent on outside grants to that large degree. And I'm asking everybody, absolutely everybody, to take this away and prayerfully see what you might do under God. There will be many of you who will be able to do something. There might be a few who won't be able to do anything. So because of those who won't be able to do anything, I'm hoping that there might be another few who will be actually able to do something very considerable in response to this. So prayerfully, honestly, humbly, take it away, pray over it, fill it in, please, and bring it back to our 7 o'clock service next Sunday. And I hope half the seats aren't going to be empty because you're going to try to miss next Sunday night. I know you wouldn't do that, okay? But I hope not. Can we really go for it, folks? Can we pray into this? And uh, let's get back, though, to this little phrase, this little phrase of Solomon or about Solomon, where it says that his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord as God. Money's not everything, but it often is an indication as to where our hearts are at in terms of our devotion and our commitment to God. It certainly is one of those markers that is an indication for us to check our own hearts, not for others to do the checking, but for us to check our own hearts. So in that way and in other ways, can we tonight and in the coming days really ask the Lord to so position us before him that my heart 
and your heart for the rest of our days, for the remainder of our lives, until the day we die and breathe our last breath, or until the day that the Lord Jesus returns, whichever should happen first, that our hearts would be holy, devoted and committed to the Lord our God. Please stand with me. Please pray. Lord, we simply want to acknowledge and admit that there have been sometimes, Lord, long seasons in our lives, sometimes shorter seasons. Maybe even, Lord, some of us tonight might indeed be a place where if we were to hold our hands up and honestly say, we could not with honestly say, Lord, that we're closer to you tonight than we were at any other season in our lives. And Lord, we want to be able to say that. We want, Lord God, that our hearts would be wholly, wholly, wholly devoted to the Lord our God. We want, Lord, to so live all our days and end our lives and breathe our last breaths, Lord God, as women and as men who, who, Lord, are loving you with all that we are and have, who are seeking, Lord, to be clean and holy and pure before you, who are loving your word, Lord, and obeying it in all its complexities and in all its challenges, who are wanting, Lord, and desiring and praying that we'd be filled more and more with your Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ would be at the center of our lives as Lord, that there would be nothing half-hearted or lukewarm about us, but that we would be men and women who are full of fire, full of zeal, whose hearts burn with love and commitment and devotion to Jesus. God, please do it. Please do it, Lord. Please do it in each of our lives. Please do it in my life. And please be honored, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.